Hello, and welcome to Season 4, Episode 8 of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. I'm Brittany Taylor, partner at Rudner Law, and I will be your host of today's Fire Away episode. Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. Today, I'm joined by Denise Koster. Denise is a workplace investigator and the principal and founder of Koster Consulting and Associates. She joined the show last summer to talk about her book, Refusing to Accept the Unacceptable, The Trials, Tribulations, and Triumphs of Workplace Bullying and Harassment. She's back again today to talk about COVID-19 and how workplace culture has changed in terms of harassment and mental health. Denise, thank you so much for coming back to the show. It's great to have you again. Oh, hi, Brittany. Thank you so much for having me back. I'm very excited and can't believe a year has passed since our last meeting. I know. Time is no meaning anymore, does it? <laughs> oh, at all. Very true, very true. So it seems that no matter what, we can't get away from talking about COVID-19, but we want to focus our discussion today on how COVID-19 has changed the landscape in terms specifically of workplace harassment. So we know that many workplaces look very different now than they did pre-pandemic. Some of these workplaces are never going to return to the normal that they had before. We are seeing lots of employers adopting a fully remote workplace or adopting a hybrid approach where there is always some work from home component. So I wanted to ask you as kind of a starter question of, you know, do issues of harassment look different in light of this new normal? What is what has changed as a result of COVID? I think everything has changed. Um, I think the world has changed and we can't uh, look at the workplace in in simply a silo and, Mm -hmm. and just say, you know, work will continue as usual with the exception that for an 18 period, 18 month period of time that individuals were working at home. Um, I think what's happened is that, you know, the changes that that happened, um, you know, is how we just communicate and engage with people um, over the past 18 months has has changed radically, not only for ourselves, but our family. I think that on one hand, the, um, the changes were extremely positive because I think they forced people to slow down and prioritize what was important to them in life. Um, but from the other hand, I know like from the, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was, you know, working together and trying to figure it out either from a, a personal point of view or, you know, from a workplace, um, you know, people were running around and, you know, buying and, and sharing toilet paper over this period of time and checking on their neighbors. Um, and, and I think the bottom line was that what, what ended up happening is that quickly changed. And because um, COVID wasn't going away, that people started to fear COVID. And as a result of fearing COVID, they inadvertently started attaching stigmas and, and um, started to discriminate against individuals that they felt had somehow this link to COVID either based on their color of their skin or their country of origin. Right. So that then created a whole new um, level of harassment and discrimination. Um, For me, it reminds me, it takes me back to Ebola and HIV uh, back in the 80s and how those, um, you know, deadly diseases were attached unfairly to certain individuals. 
Right. No, I think that's a very apt comparison. And, um, you know, in addition to kind of new grounds of discrimination or new areas of discrimination, we've also got people working in a remote environment that they may never have experienced before. It may be something totally unfamiliar to them. So what about remote work environments do you think pose unique challenge or what unique challenges do remote work environments propose or, or create for employees? Again, I think we have to go back to the beginning when employers um, were just trying to ensure that people were feeling comfortable working from home, that um, they were really trying to make sure that people kept their their jobs and that companies, you know, continue to exist in, in, in this pandemic that was going on. And, and I think that um, working at home from my perspective, uh, what happened was there was they were trying to balance the home life balance with COVID, um, allowing individuals to you know understand that they have children, they have pets, they have a lot of Amazon deliveries, <laughs> and this whole thing that their doorbell may run, ring in the middle of a meeting, um, and that people were really trying to adjust, um, and I think employers were really trying to make it comfortable to store staff. But at the same time, I think that the um, being at home created an informal environment that is not necessarily conducive to um, maintaining mission, vision, values, and code of conduct of organizations because the, the, the rules and regulations seem to have loosened up to a point and they haven't gone back to what would be considered a professional work environment. Right, right. Yeah. And I can see that with with employees working in isolation, where they're not they're not seeing their coworkers every day, they're not interacting face to face, that you definitely I think we've seen a loosening of uh, maybe what would have been considered professional before the pandemic, um, you know, people wearing hoodies uh, to meetings, uh, things like that. Um, so issues that employers are having to deal with that they they may it just wasn't an, it was a non-issue before because there was maybe a dress code policy in place that was applicable for the office. So what about when we're talking about issues of of harassment, what are kind of the new are there new forms of harassment as a result of a remote work environment that that we have to watch out for or that you have seen in, in your practice? Uh, the unfortunate reality is is that workplace harassment and bullying have existed, uh, including, you know, discrimination um, in, in part of that package. And I think that what's happened now is that it just is giving the bullies a different platform in order to, you know, to, to perform their tactics and act out um, and target and try to eliminate an individual, it's just now through a computer screen as opposed to through a doorway or um, in the field where somebody may be working. So so the, um, the the platform I think has become has become more sneaky in the sense that uh, you know people are are online uh, I think that organizations don't have enough policies and protocols around um, how to even do have a conversation like we're having right now right uh, not making cameras being on being mandatory uh, not making sure that individuals are actually um, concentrating on 
you know, the task at hand, as opposed to doing a variety of, of different things. People are texting each other during, during meetings. I've had more cases where, you know, people forget there's a microphone attached to this. People forget that things are being recorded. People say extremely inappropriate things, not realizing that now, you know, uh, before in a boardroom, you would go, I wonder if management's, you know, got a mic in the room. But on in this case, it's actually happening online. Right. And the isolation and the tweaks that are being developed as, as, a, as a result of the, um, uh, the division between people that have had to work, what's considered to be essential worker in a specific um, organization versus somebody that's working at home. Uh, right. And I think the people that are working home are actually being told that they're, you know, lucky that you're just allowed to sit at home and do nothing, where in fact those individuals are trying desperately to prove how much they're working um, so that they won't get harassed for whatever reason being chosen, uh, for lack of a better word, for being the individual that continues to work at home. Yeah, that's really interesting. Is I, I, I didn't even think about that possibility of, of kind of this conflict, this natural conflict being set up between people who were essential workers and had to be working during throughout the pandemic in the office and people who were permitted to work from home um, and, and the tension that can arise there uh, and the, the kind of misunderstandings that can arise there. Because I, I know there's plenty of people who had to work from home and it was not something that was in their preference. And a lot of people do very poorly with work from home. Um, but certainly, I, I, I think you've made a really good point about the perception of people who were uh, who had to work, who had to kind of put themselves at risk in that way. So actually, this is a really great segue because I wanted to ask you for um, maybe an example or two of some of the, the types of cases that you've seen over the past year. Well, COVID has now made its way into the investigations. Prior to, you know, probably even a year ago, it was there, but now it's actually making its way into the complaints that I'm receiving. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with even the politics of, you know, being vaccinated or not being vaccinated. The whole, you know, controversy right. around passports. Um, certain individuals are feeling that they have to disclose their personal health information um, to the world because they're not able to get vaccinated because of a health condition or an allergic reaction that they had in the past. And, and I've had a number of individuals reach out to me and, and you know, they're fearful that they're going to lose their job as a result of this. Um, but they're also feeling that their, their basic human rights are being infringed upon by an employer enforcing the rules in regards to if they should be vaccinated or not. Um, right. You know, the conversations that, you know, that some people are still... And again, I don't get into positions at all on, you know, people believe what they believe, but people, you know, in regards to, you know, whatever conspiracy theories that people are thinking, then that becomes, becomes a clique in the organization. So there's several components now that are, are, are coming into play. And I've also had, again, going back to what I said originally, I've had people that have approached me and said, I've never had an issue in this workplace in regards to racism. Um, I felt that I was treated as an equal player. Um, many that have not, don't, don't get me wrong, but the ones that have come forward and say, now people are asking me where my family is from hmm. and, and what, um, 
you know, the whole travel and, and getting into their, their, their personal backgrounds, whereas before that wasn't, that wasn't an issue. Right, right. Um, and, and how do you uh, just kind of related to that when you when you've got a complaint like this, and you've got so many people working remotely, how do you conduct an investigation when you can't be face to face with with the individuals involved? Well, investigations are extremely difficult in, in what I'm finding. And, and I'm old school. I've been doing this for 25 years. I'm pen and paper. I'm looking in the eye. I'm, I'm somebody that needs to read body language. And all my training is, is sitting in a room with somebody. And I think that with investigations, I'm trying to educate my clients about, you know, how this has to be done. Uh, first thing about investigations is I'm finding that um, behaviors because of COVID that um, uh, harassing or bullying behaviors are now being still um, excuses being part of COVID. Well, it's COVID, they're stressed out. Well, there's COVID, they're stressed out. Well, everyone's in COVID and everyone's not, you know, yelling and, and screaming and, and undermining individuals in front of authority or, or micromanaging them because of COVID. Um, I think that investigations are getting delayed, which they don't need to be because actually with, with social or uh, media platforms, it's a lot easier to do an investigation. The difficulty that I have is that my clients, particularly for individuals that are working at home, think it's okay to allow to be interviewed at home and I have a real difficulty with that because I have no control of the work environment I have no control of the investigation and what's taking place around that room right um, I've had I've had to say to people is anyone with you and they they say no and then I you know and I guess I I, I check everything out because that's part of who I am but I've seen you know people's reflections in in a refrigerator I've seen um, I've said you know can you pick pick up your computer and scan the room and I think that um, the whole thing around you know they need to be in the office they need to be controlled um, I used to go in and set a room up to make sure that it was safe and secure and I knew what was going on in the room and if the union was passing notes to the individual or not and now the investigations are that much harder because I literally can see somebody from the neck up. Right. Um, so right. This, that, so that is, it, it makes it very, very difficult um, to be able to read body language, ticks, tells, all the things that you look for. Credibility assessments in themselves are difficult. People put fake backgrounds behind them and they distort even what they look like. I've had people that say, I'm not taking my mask off. And I'm like, but there's no one in the room. <laughs> and it may, and I get it, but it also is, I need to see somebody's face when I'm having a conversation for them. So there's, there's a number of challenges um, that, that, that are taking place in regards to, to this, this whole concept of doing investigations via Zoom as opposed to in person. Right. So certainly limits on your ability to, 
get a full picture um, in terms of like look, being able to see body language, being able to know if somebody else is in the room because you're physically with them. So those are some of the downsides. I guess some of the advantages of being able to do an investigation remotely is that maybe people can participate who otherwise would not have been able to, right? Like I'm thinking of employees who, if they're on sick leave, ordinarily that that kind of puts a pause on the investigation because they're not going to come into work and meet with the investigator. Um, but in situations where the investigation can be done remotely, there that may not be necessary if the person is able to participate kind of remotely. So I guess there's there's some benefits, but like you said, there's definitely some drawbacks as well. Yeah, and, and my best practice for when someone is on sick leave, if they choose to continue the investigation and the complainant is either on a sick leave when they put in a complaint or go quickly onto one after they put one in because of fear of retaliation, I always ensure that the employer gets a letter from um, their medical provider to clear them to come specifically to talk to me. And oftentimes people want to be able to get it over with. Um, in the cases pre-COVID, those individuals would be cleared and they would come into the office. Um, now, again, there's a little bit of flexibility in regards to that, but my concern is that flexibility in this, what people are calling the new normal, is going to stay forever when people could actually physically come into the office, be socially isolated, uh, socially distanced from another individual and all of that, that that's not going to happen anymore, that people are going right. to have a choice to be able to stay at home and have an interview done. And my concern in regards to that too is clients. If I'm talking about, I, I also do, um, um, part of my mandate is I do resident abuse cases where there's a long-term care. Um, so if you're talking about a resident or you're talking about another individual, you don't know what the confidentiality is in that room. If there's three people sitting across the room and you're talking about clients and you're talking about confidential issues pertaining particularly to somebody's personal health issues. Right. Um, being at home, again, it, it, but I can also do an investigation. I can interview someone in Toronto, someone in BC, and someone in New York all in the same day. Where I right. I could do that if I was using public transportation. Yeah, and, until we invent the teleporter. That's <laughs> yeah, that would be helpful, but... Right now, it's definitely easier, but I would rather make sure I'm doing my due diligence as opposed to making it easier. Right. Um, but it, it is, it is, and we have to adapt, and it's been difficult for everybody to, to, and there are certain people that don't even have computers. I have had people that I've had to FaceTime with, and they're, they're, they're so upset, and they're so stressed about having to use technology that it's actually negatively affected the interview because they're so concerned about what they look like or we keep the call keeps dropping then what's going on with uh what's going on with that so that right. makes it difficult right no that's a really really good point so i know um doing investigations is just one part of your skill set and your mandate you also help employers with threat assessment so what do you think employers should be looking out for right now in terms of this this current environment that we're in well i think it comes back to the topic that we're discussing today and and, and you know particularly in the area of mental health i mean um People's mental health are suffering, that people that have never had mental health issues now are now suffering, um, as we talked about earlier with 
isolation, working from home. Um, people are now, people used to use work to escape domestic violence. Now they're subjected to domestic violence even more so because of the stress and the alcoholism and just the decline in people's mental health. Right. Um, so one of the services that I do provide is, is providing organizations with threat assessments. And that's a threat that comes either from an external or an internal body um, in regards to um, in regards to a threat, a threat to harm somebody. So it's it's a fact-based method of assessing. It's not a risk assessment, it's a threat assessment about a specific person based on facts, not perception. So what I'm finding now is that when I do an investigation, I'm finding that individuals are much more fearful of, for example, the complainant is more fearful of the respondent because now they can't keep track of them. If you and I are in office, I'm going to be able to see where Brittany is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be able to deke her out. I'm going to be able to sort of watch her and, and be able to maybe go one step ahead of her in regards to the harassment or what types of retaliation that she might be considering um, after I put in a complaint. So I'm finding that I'm having witnesses or complainants um, articulate to me that they are afraid that this individual may hurt them, come to their house, hurt their loved one, whatever it may be. So I'm then having to stop the investigation to do a threat assessment in order to, to, to be able to determine if this person is a true threat. And if they're a true threat, I have to create a plan to make sure that that individual is moved away from committing the act of threat active violence as opposed to being pushed towards it um, right. and that seems to be a new thing because of the isolation that people are in they don't know what's happening at the office who's talking about me what's going on they're out to get me and they're fearful and and one thing i always tell everybody is number one everyone is capable of being violent and number two when someone is afraid they're afraid and you have no right i don't care if you're trained or you know this person for 50 years you have no right to tell an individual you should not be afraid and we will protect you because you can't mm -hmm. and that's why there are fact-based systems and assessment plans that can be used in order to assist with that process so i'm finding with covid it's definitely threat assessments are coming more onto my caseload than they had even two months prior Right. And, and I think that's a really interesting point, because I think a lot of people would assume the opposite. They would assume that because the parties are not together in the workplace, it's a healthier environment for everybody because they're not interacting. But you make it you make such excellent points about it, the, the kind of paranoia that that can create because you're not able to observe. You're not you're not in the workplace. You can't get the temperature of what's going on around you. Yeah. So that's, I think that's a really, really um, interesting observation. And, and I think something that would surprise a lot of people to hear. And when, and when somebody is subjected to bullying or harassment, of course, their mental health is, is being compromised. The psychological trauma that's involved in, in being bullied is, is extremely high. And if it's not managed well, 
then you have the secondary trauma of it not being managed well or if people aren't believing you. Um, and then what happens is individuals, and I'm not saying that as a medical diagnosis because that's not my training, but people become paranoid and then everything becomes suspect. Right. Why was I involved in that Zoom meeting? Why did they want to stay afterwards and talk? What were they talking about? And the paranoia builds. And as people are staying home and not only trying to deal with managing their family, they're having to deal with their mental health and they're having to deal with, you know, how am I going to get through the next day? Computers are now creating PTSD because if people are being bullied online, I have to look at that computer every day now and I have to turn it on day after day after day. And I don't know who's taping, who's taking pictures. People have made memes of people's living room curtains as a joke. Right. And that's, you know, if somebody is in a good relationship, you can joke all you want with me, Brittany. You can, you know, as I say, fill your boots. You can make a meme of me. That's okay. <laughs> you have a good relationship. But at the end of the day, if you don't have that relationship and you're continually being targeted, everything someone does becomes suspect. Right. And the paranoia becomes extremely high. Um, and a lot of paranoia has is, is valid. Because that is what's going on in the workplace. They just can't see it. Which makes right. It hard for them now. Right. So, so how does an employer uh, be mindful of the of the kind of high level of mental health issues that everyone is experiencing, kind of across the board, just as a result of of the trauma of going through this pandemic? How does an employer approach that in a in a, a kind of sensitive and compassionate manner? I think that we have to go back to how it was supposed to be before, and it still wasn't perfect by any means, is that the mental and psychological health and the occupational health and safety of individuals in the workplace has to be a number one priority. I have so many times people say to me, Denise, I have to get back to my real job. These two people are fighting in the back. I'm not here to babysit. We need to make mental health a priority now more than ever. And we need to take complaints seriously and act upon them immediately and stop using COVID as an excuse um, for bad behavior. Um, I think that at the end of the day, all the policies need to be reviewed. I think that how, you know, how to run What's the expectations of having a meeting? Right. What's the expectations of cameras being on, mics being on, who's led in the room first, recordings, um, even etiquette. And we went back to this earlier, and you mentioned hoodies. If I seen one more hoodie, <laughs> blowing my mind, bad hair and hoodies. It's like, you know what, would you go into work that way? Um, you know, the question about can't people just smoke because I'm at my house and I feel like having a butt, right? Can I have a cigarette? Um, yeah, I saw something actually a little bit funny where they had somebody that was holding up a coffee cup and they were about to take a drink and they said, blow into it. So they'll think your vodka is coffee. <laughs> what I mean, it's like, who's to say what's in my glass. So they need to put policies, procedures, code of conduct, bystanders need to be upstanders. I've done investigations where people have treated people really poorly and, and, and disrespected them to the 10th degree during the Zoom. 
and people are like, I, I, I don't know, I wasn't concentrating. I think that there has to be protocols around, you know, and, and this is a thing with me that drives me nuts in person or on Zoom, is that, you know, they're, they're looking at their phone. You no, know, when you're in a meeting, you need to concentrate on the meeting. Right. Um, and, and I actually um, am just um, in graduate school right now, and I had my first course two weeks ago, and the professor said, before we started, she said, I want you to get up, and I want you to walk out of your room, and I want you to come back in the room, and I want you to sit down. So what that does, first of all, it determines if people are wearing pants. But other <laughs> than that, what it does is it makes it then formal. It's like you're walking into a room. And then the other thing she said was, push away from your desk. In other words, I can see what you're doing. Right. And I think that the rules, regulations, the policies, the procedures, the code of conduct, all of that need, needs to become the forefront now and not be camouflaged or, or put on the back burner because we're still trying to manage the issue of COVID. And I get it as an employer, but I also, and I get it as labor, but it has to become a priority. And I think it's being lost in the mix and that right. people are suffering terribly. Um, I asked individuals, you know, do you have, I did another Zoom where I said to people, do you have protocols around meetings, Zoom meetings or any of that? And 67% said no. Interestingly enough, 20% said depends on the meeting. Hmm. Interesting. You have, a, you have a code of conduct and protocol around certain meetings, but not about others. Hmm. So I think it has to be standard and across the board. And the occupational health and safety policies have to now align with the fact that people were working at home. Right. And what does that mean? What if someone is in a domestic situation? They're being forced to stay in a domestic situation because they're working at home. Right. And no escape anymore from that from that place. Yeah, and I think you make an excellent point. Um, I think for a long time, employers kind of had no choice but to operate assuming that this was a temporary situation right so so we were we were so caught up in responding to issues as they arose and and just trying to keep everybody safe that you know you you, you kind of um, justify it to yourself by saying well we'll we'll get to that you know and once everything goes back to normal we won't need those policies so um, but it's it's you know, when you look back, you're like, oh, my gosh, it's been it's almost two years um, at this point. Right. It's uh, it, you know, you kind of have to, like you said, just acknowledge that, OK, this is the state of where we are at. We have been here for quite some time. We need to adjust policies to make sure that no one is being left behind or that issues are not being addressed that can lead to to serious mental health challenges, as you were indicating. I think Mike. The microaggressions and the discrimination against parties that, are, that we talked about at the beginning that have now manifest self. Now we've worked for 20 years to get the human rights, you know, to start to get recognized, and it's got a way to go. And you know, pollution and and all of the the work that people are trying to do. It's like we've gone three steps back now with COVID and how people are that are being the stigma that's being linked to that. And I think that that needs to be included in what does harassment look like? You know, attaching to asking someone about their country of origin, 
Um, right. That might have been still part of the human rights, but now it's, has, it takes a different spin because they're asking it for a different reason that they wouldn't have asked it before. Right, right. Well, this has been really, really informative, Denise. I think we could keep talking for hours and hours about this issue, um, but you know, I'm I'm cognizant of the time. Uh, so, thank you so much. Uh, it is now time for me to fire away. All right, so today we have less of a rant and more of an announcement. The Ontario government has once again extended the COVID-19 period under the Employment Standards Act. The new end date is now January 1st, 2022, unless it gets moved again. So what this means, of course, is that employees who have had their hours reduced or eliminated as a result of COVID-19 will continue to be deemed to be on infectious disease emergency leave for purposes of the Employment Standards Act. As of January 2nd, the regular rules with respect to temporary layoffs will kick in for those employees who are not recalled or put back to regular hours. Now, as we've talked about several times before, there is still a continuing debate in our courts right now about whether placing an employee on infectious disease emergency leave constitutes constructive dismissal at common law. So our recommendation, as, as it almost always is, is don't make assumptions get legal advice before you send somebody home, or if you have any questions about your rights and obligations, either as an employer or as an employee. As we love to say, if you think you need an employment lawyer, you probably do. All right, that's all the time we have today for season four, episode eight. Thank you to everyone for tuning in and thank you to Denise for coming back on the show. We really, really enjoyed having you. At Rudner Law, we want people to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions. I invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter, and although we are making progress on the COVID front, continue to keep up to date on workplace issues related to the pandemic by checking out our COVID-19 Resource Center. As we always say, none of that replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. So feel free to reach out if you need advice in that regard. We will help you avoid creating scenes like the one that uh, the ones that Denise was talking about today during the session. Our next episode will air on October 19th and we'll be joined by Les Freeman to talk about employee insurance and benefits plans and the legal implications on potential liabilities. Past episodes can be found on YouTube, on our website, and archived on Facebook and LinkedIn. And if you like our page or subscribe to our channels, you will receive notifications when the episodes are live. Thanks to Rob, Rebecca, and Mark for helping put the show together. As always, great job, guys. See you next time.